Whatever the case, Paul said, look, I don't want to build on another man's foundation. Um, at the same time, Rome is so important. It's the capital of the Roman Empire. And I want to go preach the gospel in Spain. And so on my way to Spain, I'd love to stop off and get some fellowship with you. But I don't want to freak you out. So here's the gospel message that I've been preaching to all the other churches where I planted churches. And, um, and I'm telling you, this is, this is at a time when, you know, not everybody's using Paul's terminology. They're all preaching the same gospel message, but sometimes they define their terms differently. Just try to reconcile James chapter 2 with Romans chapter 4. You know, Paul saying that um, Abraham was justified in Genesis 15 when he first believed. Um, James says Abraham wasn't justified till Genesis chapter 22 when Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac like 15 years later. Well, as you study the passages, you realize Paul defines justification as the moment you're declared righteous by God, the moment you're saved, the moment you first believe. James is defining it uh, as when you're proven righteous to be righteous, when you're proven to be a godly man before others. And um, so Paul had good reason to write them this letter and to let them know, had I been there and planted the church, this is what I would have preached to you. Now, the reason why that benefits us greatly is because if you look at all his other letters, he just doesn't spell out exactly the steps he would take in preaching the gospel, okay? He's addressed, he manages to talk about the gospel in passing, but he's dealing with issues each individual church has. So here, this is, we get the opportunity, well, if Paul was going to preach the gospel from the first step on, this is the way he would do it. And so through the book of Romans, he spends Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3, saying that man is condemned, condemnation, man is condemned. We're all sinners, we can't save ourselves. Then in the latter half of Romans 3, Romans 4, and Romans 5, he says, but we're justified, declared righteous by God, saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. Then he deals with the sanctification process. Once we're saved, what is, what's our relationship with the law? What's our relationship with sin? Okay, chapter 6 is sin, chapter 7 is the law. And then, uh, and then he, in sanctification, we're being set apart for God's holy purposes. Romans 8 is glorification, when God completes the work that he starts in us. So he goes through justification. We're declared righteous by God the moment we first believe. Then we enter into the process of sanctification, being progressively set apart for God's holy purposes. And then glorification, when God completes the work that he starts in us. Then he goes into Romans 9, 10, and 11. Well, what about Israel? If they're God's chosen nation, how come so many Jews are rejecting Christ? And then chapters 12 to the end of the book of Romans, he deals with practical application. So here he's starting with the fact that mankind is condemned. So we're going to take a look at this passage here. Now, our culture was founded on biblical principles uh, but it's now abandoned the true God of the Bible. We all know that. So we see abortion, euthanasia, you know, abortion killing babies before they're born, euthanasia, so-called mercy killing, uh, violence. Uh, look at our cities today. And, you know, you defund the police and then a former Marine uh, protects people uh, but accidentally kills the guy he's trying to stop from hurting people on the subway in New York City. The guy had been arrested 42 times, including uh, kidnapping a seven-year-old girl and beating up an elderly lady on the subway before. So the Marine knew what was going on. All the all the people said he he's a, a hero, and and now he's being charged with manslaughter. So um, so we see the violence and the idolatry. Uh, we see the transgender movement, critical race theory, and things of that sort, neo-Marxism, um, 
trying to classify people as the oppressors and the oppressed, trying to overthrow the United States uh, sovereignty and to usher us into a global state. I don't think that's going to work out too good. Just read Revelation chapter 13 and the rule of the Antichrist. So how did things get this bad? Well, Paul explains not only how things got this bad for all mankind, but this also explains how things get bad in a culture, especially when the culture knew, started out knowing God and then got away from it. When our founding fathers founded this country, about 98% of the population was Christian, okay? Um, and so we've fallen uh, greatly from that. And um, so our culture has gone the way of other cultures and mankind in general. Man naturally flees from the presence of God. And so we're going to look at the different stages of man's flight uh, from God. And, uh, and so look at verses 18 through 20. And Paul says this, For the wrath of God, the anger of God, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power, and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So here we see that God's existence is evident. God has revealed himself within us. Calvin called this the sensus divinitatis, um, the sense of deity. So John Calvin would argue we not only have five, the five senses of touch, sight, hearing, and all, but we also have this sense of God deep within us. And what do we do? We suppress that. But God reveals himself within us, and then God reveals himself to us in through creation. So Psalm 19.1 tells us, King David said, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. And so God is revealed with deep within our hearts that he exists, but he also reveals to us through creation, that he exists. Um, now, uh, it says there, that, so they're without excuse, they suppress this truth, because although they knew God, verse 21, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so uh, the, the issue there, the real issue is moral rebellion. It's not lack of evidence, okay? Man suppresses the truth. You don't suppress a truth that deep down inside you already, you know, you, you have to know what something is true before you could suppress that truth. So it's not like the atheist doesn't know God. Uh, the atheist is, is not thankful. Anyone who rejects the existence of the true creator God is not thankful. They're not grateful and so man is without excuse for rejecting God. We got to stop thinking of atheists. Atheists like to portray themselves as the kid who's growing up and he gets up age 7, 8, 9, 10, some 11 or 12 and he figures it out. He says, "Oh no, I'm I'm not into believing these fairy tales anymore." Santa Claus doesn't exist. It's mommy and daddy are buying me the gifts. And I've just intellectually matured, and I realized that. That's the way atheists uh, um, would like to describe themselves. In reality, it's more like the kid who knows his Christmas gifts are coming from his parents, but he's not thankful. All he cares about are the gifts. He's never grateful to the gift giver, okay? And that's what the uh, atheist is doing. The problem is not lack of evidence. The problem is lack uh, of gratitude. So the real issue, not a lack of evidence, 
The real issue is that man sets his will against God, man's moral rebellion. Uh, look at John chapter 3, Gospel of John chapter 3. You know, we all know John 3, 16 through 18, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He who believes is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. But we rarely read the next three verses. Uh, verses 19 to 21 of John 3. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. And that's the Lord Jesus. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. And so in, in the end, what you have is that those who don't come to God, um, they don't want the light. They desire the darkness, okay? Um, and again, it gets back. It's not, the issue is not lack of evidence for God. The issue is a lack of gratitude. Um, and so there are people that don't want the light of Christ coming in, showing their sinfulness, showing their inadequacies. I can remember in the Marine Corps, I used to shine my boots, and they'd look so good in, in my room. And then I'd get outside to stand inspection in the sunlight, and I could glance down and see, oh, I'm going to get nailed on this inspection because I'd see all blemishes on my shoes. Because once I came out into the light, it exposed those blemishes. A lot of people don't want their sinfulness to be uh, exposed, and uh, and they're not grateful, and they rebel against God. Aldous Huxley, um, one of the famous of the Huxleys, they were some of them were atheists, some of them were New Agers, but they definitely weren't Christians. But he said we objected to the morality because it interfered uh, with our sexual freedom. That's in his work, Ends and Means, on page 316. He talked about not knowing God, not knowing God's morality. We don't know because we don't want to know. At page 312 there. So you'll, you'll find these moments where some of the world's leading atheists or at least leading anti-Christian thinkers will admit, look, we don't believe in God because we don't want to believe in God. It's not that uh, there isn't enough evidence. We just don't want this to be God's universe. We don't want to come off the throne. We want to be autonomous. We want to be uh, our own kings. And, uh, and so there's a moment of honesty there. Uh, the philosopher Thomas Nagel, a uh, very, very honest atheist, he said, I want atheism to be true. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. That's in his word, work, the last word, page 130. A lot of atheists get upset with the few atheists that are honest about it. But with this brilliant philosopher saying, look, it's not that I've seen evidence that makes me reject God. I just don't want the universe to be like that. I don't want there to be a universe where I have to answer to God. I'm ungrateful, and so I don't want there to be a God, so I'm just going to decide that there's no God. Blaise Pascal understood that the great French scientist and mathematician and inventor, uh, he, he agreed with Rene Descartes that man is irrational. Humans are rational beings, but he disagreed in that they, Rene Descartes acted like man was rational, period. Blaise Pascal would say, no, man is rational, comma. We're a lot of other things besides being rational. And um, Blaise Pascal would argue in his Ponces, his uh, apologetics work, uh, that 
very rarely does man make important decisions by reason alone. Almost always we make the most important decisions we make in life because of our will or our desires or our emotions, something other than reason, and then we sneak reason in the back door to argue for what we already believe on less than rational grounds. And we that's the way we humans are. I mean, um, I could... I could argue for hours that Kenny Stabler was the greatest quarterback who ever lived, yet the guy only won one Super Bowl. And there's a guy that I don't like, Tom Brady, who won seven of them. Okay? And so it's kind of like, because I like the Raiders, I desire their greatest quarterback to be the greatest quarterback, and then I'll bring reason in the back door. Okay? And uh, But most people are like that when it comes even to the most important issue, the issue of God, the issue of our eternal destinies. Uh, Now, so step number one, okay, is that man suppresses the truth, okay? So in man's rejection of God, that first step is his ungrateful rejection of God where man suppresses the truth. Now we come back to step number two, futile speculation. When you reject the truth, you've got to come up with an alternative view. So verses 21 and 22, after suppressing the truth, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise, they became fools. So when you reject the truth, okay, when you reject the truth, you have to come up with an alternative theory. And you could profess to be wise, but you're going to make fools of yourselves. So now all of a sudden, um, uh, if you want to be brilliant, just claim that we evolved from apes. Boy, does that make you sound brilliant, huh? We, we evolve from monkeys. And then this all happens by chance, by the way. We increase, started out, like, first started out with non-living material, and then accidentally, randomly, through billions of years, we added information without any intelligent intervention and became a cell, a living thing. And then single-celled animals evolved into multi-celled animals, no no information input, but somehow we're getting more information accidentally. Um, I mean, just, just, just leave a town alone. Just evacuate a town, come back in 20 years and find out how much order and complexity is there. No, it goes from a state of order and complexity to a state of disorder. Things left to themselves. Entropy, second law of thermodynamics, energy deterioration. And um, so this idea that they're the wise ones. I mean, right now, the debate between Christians and atheists is either, in the beginning, a miracle-working God created the universe, or in the beginning, nothing created the universe. Everybody agrees the universe had a beginning now. So, you know, that's why I tell people, being a philosopher is pretty cool. Usually... If you're trying to be a scholar in any other field, you got to study something. But philosophers actually even get paid to study nothing. And so I become a pretty good, pretty big expert on nothing. And from my research on nothing, I found that nothing is nothing. Okay, that in itself, that statement right there, you're probably thinking, man, this was, this was worth it coming out here to learn that nothing is nothing. But if nothing is nothing, then nothing can do nothing. And if nothing can do nothing, nothing can cause nothing. Everything that has a beginning needs a cause. The universe had a beginning, so the universe needs a cause, and nothing can't do that. Nothing cannot cause anything. So really, the ones who should be viewed as foolish are the atheists. But everything's been turned around. They profess to be wise, but became Fools, their futile thoughts, the futile thoughts are the only option when the truth is rejected. 
Uh, they've dark, they have darkened hearts. They've dehumanized themselves. They profess to be wise. You know, you either in evolution or you end up bowed down, bound down for statues of four-legged creatures in the New Age movement, neo-paganism. Profess to be wise, but they become fools. And by the way, if Paul is correct here, and he is, he's recording the word of God. He says, when you reject the true God, your final state will be worshiping statues of four-legged creatures. And atheists say, no, no, we reject God and we become these wise men. We don't bow down before statues of four-legged creatures. No, uh, if Paul is correct, at best, atheism is a halfway house between Christianity and paganism. And so we are rapidly heading in that direction. Our culture is going pagan. Um, you know, you see this with ancient Greece, with Athens. The Greek philosophers tried to refute the pagan myths, but within a few hundred years, when Paul shows up, there's statues, pagan altars to pagan gods. Because the Greek philosophers thought, you know what, we can, um, man can live by bread alone. We don't need to worry about the spiritual things. And um, so human wisdom, apart from God, couldn't even defeat the pagan gods. But we're moving in that direction now. It's to the point where the evidence for intelligent design is so strong that now even atheists have to admit it's impossible for life to have evolved from non-living material without intelligent intervention on the planet Earth. It's impossible. There's just not enough, even with the billions of years, there's not enough time. That's why doctors uh, Hoyle and Wick Ramasing, two of Great Britain's leading uh, evolutionists, um, they tried to figure out what are the chances of life evolving from non-living material without intelligent intervention. And what they found out is the same as the, the chance of uh, a random tornado blowing through a junkyard and accidentally producing a fully functional Boeing 747. Now, you would think Hoyle and McRamasing would then say, well, if that's the case, we're going to join the Baptist church down the block. No, then, then they started promoting panspermia, that if it couldn't happen on planet Earth, maybe it happens somewhere else in the universe, and then either accidentally or on purpose, primitive life forms were transported to the planet Earth, and then we evolved from that, Okay. Um, and so we're finding more and more atheists who are now talking about intelligent life on other planets and somehow uh, primitive life being transported to the planet Earth. Basically what that is, uh, you'll have to trust me on this one, that's just the, the early stages of the return of the ancient pagan gods. Okay, The ancient pagans... They knew that there were entities from somewhere else entering this dimension and visiting planet Earth, but they called them the daimonios, the gods. Ancient Christians and ancient Jews said what the pagans call the gods are actually unclean spirits. They're actually demons. We got our word demons uh, from that. Uh, but at best, atheism is just a halfway house between Christianity and paganism. And so we're seeing the return uh, of pagan views. I'm telling you, uh, I can't get into the details for lots of reasons, but the more I study about these globalists who want to rule the world, I don't know why anybody with billions of dollars like Bill Gates would be upset that Phil Fernandez eats hamburgers. And they claim that, you know, Cows passing gas are destroying the ozone layer. Let me say, let me, cows have been passing gas for a long, long time. The, the, world, the, the world will do just fine with that going on. So there's a different agenda. There are powerful people, powerful demonic people on this planet right now that want to rule the world. And they, as they eat steak, they get ticked off that people like us get to eat steak and hamburgers. And they don't like, while they fly their private jets all over the world burning fuel, they're upset that we drive around in our, in our little vehicles. 
Uh, but believe me, the more I look into these people and what their views are and the transhumanism movement trying to bring about the next stage in the uh, evolution of mankind, they call it homo deus, trying to bring about the man-god, um, uh, trying to exterminate large portions of the world's population. The more I look into it, the more demonic it, it shows itself to be. And, uh, but whatever the case, they can profess to be wise, but they become uh, fools. Um, step number three is idolatry. We'll look at verses 23 to 25. So professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. More on that later. Verse 25, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie the lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So they worshiped the creator or the creature or the creation rather than uh, the creator. So as I said, atheism is at best a halfway house between Christianity and paganism. Uh, even atheists have acknowledged that man is incurably religious. Humanist manifestos written by atheists uh, Humanist Manifestos 1 and 2 talk about man being incurably religious. To be human is to be religious. Uh, Walter Kaufman, the great uh, Friedrich Nietzsche scholar, he, he defines man as the God-intoxicated ape. So the main difference between apes and humans, we think about God, they don't. Well, if God doesn't exist, then the apes are doing better than we're doing. Okay. Maybe apes devolved into us. Um, but if humans are greater than apes, then there's reason why we would be intoxicated with the idea uh, of God. But if we reject the creator, we're going to, you know, God created us to worship. God created you to worship. God created me to worship. Okay? To be human is to worship something. If you won't worship the creator, you'll worship the creation or some aspect of it. People notice that even as far back as, I think, 1969, Carl Sagan in his work, The Cosmos, The Cosmos was the, uh, the universe, about halfway through the book, he started capitalizing the sea of cosmos and um, uh, started giving it, like, intelligence and some of the attributes of God. You don't worship the true God. You'll come up with a false God to worship. And, uh, but the idea that you're not going to worship anybody, this old Bob Dylan song, you, you got to serve somebody. It might be the devil. It might be God, but you got to worship somebody. And so then step number four, immorality. So step number three was idolatry. You, you don't worship the true God. You know, we know that God exists, but we suppress that truth. We reject God. We profess to be wise. We speculate. We make fools of ourselves. Then we become idolaters, worship false gods, and sexual, step number four, sexual immorality. So when you see these things happening in a culture, you know that culture's days are numbered, okay? And uh, verses 24 to 27 Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth to God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. Now he gives some examples of this aberrant sexual lifestyle. Remember a few weeks ago, uh, I talked about the Bible defines sexual immorality, sexual sin, as sex, any sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. And uh, But here he gives this example. Uh, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their woman exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. So he's talking about woman 
having sexual relations with other women, lesbianism, verse 27. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men com committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves, some translations read, uh, receiving in their own bodies the penalty of their, of their error, which was due. We all know that, you know, even besides AIDS, there's over 300 different homosexual-related diseases. A lot of them have to do with parasites, and destruction of the immune system. And uh, the, the thing is, too, is not only is homosexuality sinful, um, but it's also unnatural. It goes against nature. So like a, a male who's sexually promiscuous um, with females and a female who's sexually promiscuous with males, that's very sinful. That's horrible. But it's not unnatural. They're still using their bodies in a natural way, in a way that God designed it. But with homosexuality, it's not only sinful, but it's also unnatural, Okay. And you're not going to hear people talking about that um, on, the, on the media today. Um, but rejecting God leads not only to idolatry, but it leads to sexual immorality. Uh, it can also work the other way around, by the way. Some people become atheists, and that leads them to be immoral. Other people become immoral first, and that leads them to reject God. Um. I remember having a conversation with a guy who went off to college and um, uh, I don't even remember who the guy was. The, I think it was one of my former students because I remember the question I asked him. But um, the guy was talking about how he's so smart now after his first year of college, no longer believes that God exists and this and that and blah, blah, blah and all this other stuff. And I said, you know, I'm going to call his bluff. This guy was never into intellectual, into intellectual things. I don't even think it was some intellectual search. Something else is going on. And so he's just talking about, oh, I've come to realize there's no God and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And, all that. and so I said, um, uh, uh, what did I tell him? I said, I, said, who, I asked him, uh, who are you sleeping with? And all of a sudden he got white as a ghost. And he said, my mom told you? And uh, it's like, wait a minute here. We... We have people, you know, you're going to have some kids who are going to go to college and they're going to hear some philosophical argumentation. They're not going to be able to answer the objections. They become atheists and then they become immoral. But you're also going to have, it's probably even more likely, they become immoral first. And if you're living a life of immorality, okay, um, you're going to want to be able to sleep at night. And if you're going to want to be able to sleep at night, you're going to want to train yourself to believe, program yourself to believe that there is no God. And uh, But whatever the case, Paul says in the, the downward slide of a nation or a people, mankind in general, but we see it in America today, even though God revealed himself, you reject God. Then you profess to be wise, but you become fools. You enter into idolatry, worship false gods. Sexual immorality, the example Paul uses here is the unnatural behavior of homosexuality, okay? And, um, and so homosexuality is a pagan lifestyle. Um, it is not non-religious. The idea that this person over here, well, they're homosexual. Yeah, I wonder what their religion is. Well, they can call themselves a Christian if they want, but they're lying. They can call themselves any different religion. The fact of the matter is, it's a pagan lifestyle. Paganism, each worldview comes, up, comes with its own morality or lack thereof. And we have people in the American church, they call themselves Christians, but their lifestyles are not Christian. Their lifestyles are actually pagan. And so immorality... Uh, step number five, a debased mind. Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind or a depraved mind to do those things which are not fitting. 
We see that now, you know, we look at the kinds of sinfulness that people get involved with. Look at the transgender movement. It's like, where did you come up with these ideas? Did you, did you just think, gee, what is the most depraved thing I could possibly do with my body? And, uh, and then how can I flaunt that before others? Um, but uh, a reprobate, depraved mind, that's men whose moral sense is perverted or twisted. It's, it's the being incapable of thinking straight in reference to moral issues. We, we just described our entire culture. Okay, This didn't happen in a vacuum. Okay, What's going on in the 2020s can be explained by what went on in the 1960s with the whole counterculture revolution and turning against traditional belief in God and traditional morality, okay? And, um, and now it's led it to the point where we have large portions of our population who can no longer think properly. And um, Washington State, if a parent... If a parent has a child and the young child, if it's a boy and they want to become a girl and they want to receive some kind of uh, hormone treatment or have some kind of surgery, if the parents go against them, the state will side now with the child. And what kind of insanity is this? I mean, here, um, a 13-year-old does not have the ability to consent to, uh, to, to having sex. Yet they can consent to changing their gender, having their sexual organs removed. Um, I agree with, you know, Tucker Carlson. I, I think he's an Episcopalian. I'm not sure, but uh, I hope he's a true believer, but I don't know. Uh, but he just basically called it child mutilation. And the parents cannot even stop, cannot even prevent their children from being mutilated if their children want to be mutilated. By, by the way, this idea that it used to be like less than 1% of Americans were homosexual, but now we've made it real popular. And so this whole transgender thing is just, uh, you know, it's the popular thing to do. Social media, uh, elementary school, high school, the colleges, um, we're pressuring kids uh, to uh, have this, this, this uh, depraved mind. And uh, we're seeing it become more and more common uh, today. This is, this is not just insanity. You know, the choice is either, I tell people, it's either God or insanity. And we're choosing insanity. But it's not just insanity. It's a demonic insanity. And uh, step number six is widespread wickedness, where all of a sudden this becomes widespread. So verses 29 uh, through 31, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, again, that's fornication. We get our word pornography from it, pornea, uh, all sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. And so what we see here is widespread Wickedness, the many faces of evil. And, um, you know, in the end, man cannot be good without God. Okay? Jesus said, you know, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He abides in me and I in him. He bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, we all have next door neighbors that are outwardly very nice. They're very nice to us. They're nice to others. Okay? But they're true inner self, if you want to call it that, they cannot obey God from the heart. 
And eventually, with enough passage of time, it might take a few generations. You might have uh, uh, a very nice neighbor who's a non-believer, but then their kid is a little bit less nice. And then by the time you get to the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren, all that inward wickedness starts coming out. Uh, but man cannot be good without God. In the flesh, we cannot please God, Romans 8.8. 8. Okay? And so if we're going to throw God off the bridge, morality, a pure heart, those things are going to go off the bridge with it. And this is what we're seeing in our culture today. Now, what I would see as that final stage is when the evil is actually being publicly promoted, the promotion of evil. Look at verse 32, Romans 1, verse 32. Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, so deep down inside, Paul's going to say it in Romans 2, 14 and 15, that, well, I'll just read Romans 2, 14 and 15. When, when, for when pagans, when the Gentiles, who do not have the law by nature, do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, they don't have the law written on tablets of stone and are in the Old Testament, not having the law, are law to themselves, who show, show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and between themselves, their thoughts accusing or else accusing them. So even though they know the righteous judgment of God because God's made it clear to them and God's written his moral laws on our hearts, that's what a conscience is. It's our knowledge of right and wrong. Deep down inside, we know right and we know wrong. But even though we know the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Okay? So you get the approval of it. And then you get to the stage of the promotion of it, okay? Um, I, I said it this morning, and it, it bears saying again, it, we are at the point right now, we're the bad guys. It's Isaiah 520, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Um, it's not, if you say, look, look, it's none of my business if there's transgender people down the block. It's none of my business. Uh, or if there's homosexuals down the block. What they do in their bedroom, that's none of my business, okay? But I'm just talking about me and my family and my church. That's not good enough, okay? You have to actively promote this stuff or you're a bad guy right now. And that's the stage we've been... Once you get to the stage where the promotion of evil, then Christianity, because we promote that which is good and we condemn evil, we become the bad guys. And so this is that final stage, that collapse of a civilization. Uh, we could, we, this, this promotion of evil is it's called political correctness, okay? Where if you're opposed to abortion, uh, you're politically incorrect, you're against women's rights. It's the new tolerance. Traditional tolerance used to be freedom of religion and freedom of speech. The new tolerance says, no, no, all beliefs are equally true and all behavior is equally wholesome. Oh, by the way, if you disagree with us, we can't tolerate you. So the new tolerance is the most intolerant belief system in the history of mankind. All in the name of tolerance, they want to lock up Christians. You know, why, why won't they release the manifesto of the transgender person who shot up the Christian uh, elementary school? Um, this is the new tolerance. The new tolerance cannot tolerate people who proclaim the true God and his truth and his morality. It's the new morality. Uh, America was built upon, we weren't, never perfectly obeyed it, but we were built upon God's moral laws. Then we entered a stage of moral relativism where it was like no moral laws. Each person does what is right or wrong for himself. It's none of my business, blah, blah, blah. Those days are gone. When those days were around, if you told your neighbor you're a Christian, they would say, you know, I'm really glad that if that's good and true for you, I'm really glad that you're happy, but it's not good and true for me. 
That, those were the days of no moral absolutes. Okay, we went from God's moral absolutes to no moral absolutes. Those days are gone now. Now it's the new absolutes, okay? In fact, some good books to look into. Josh McDowell and Bob Hostetler wrote a book titled The New Tolerance. This was back in the 1990s. They saw this stuff coming. And then back in the 1990s, William Watkins wrote a book called The New Morality, where he gives you 10 traditional moral commands from scriptures and how they've been replaced. Like we redefine what a family is. We redefine what marriage is, okay? And so it's Isaiah 520, what are those who call evil good and good evil? Here's a, a book you might want to pick up someday. It's a good book, so it's probably out of print by now. Uh, but The Making of an Atheist, How Immorality Leads to Unbelief by James S. Spiegel. He's a philosophy professor. The Making of an Atheist, How Immorality Leads to Unbelief. And um, that was real eye-opening uh, to read that. So in conclusion, man's rejection of God is based on moral rebellion against God and our ungratefulness. It's not a lack uh, of evidence. Only the Lord Jesus can save us and, uh, and cleanse us. Um, we all know John 14, 6, uh, where Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. We've got to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. God says in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, written 700 years before Jesus walked the earth, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, uh, they shall be as wool. And so God says, look, I, I just read, just reason with me. You got this problem called sin. Deep down inside, you know you got this problem called sin. Deep down inside, you know my moral laws. You have a conscience, and it's a guilty conscience, okay? And, um, and you know I exist. So, you know, I'll close with this verse, Isaiah 45, 22. So God says, come let us reason. And then Isaiah 45, 22, turn to me and be saved, for I am God and there is no other. Is there a solution to America's problem? Yeah. Is there a solution to man's problem? Yeah, but the solution is Jesus. And God's not going to force us into his kingdom. So if we want to live in continual rebellion against God and against his truth and against his moral law, uh, we will suffer the consequences. But right now, where's America? We're in that promotion um, of evil uh, stage. And um, so America needs prayer. Um, uh, unless, you know, if we, God can turn things back through revival, but no repentance, no revival, nobody wants to repent. I mean, we'd probably have revival if just the church in America would repent, but we don't want to turn from our sin. Everybody wants revival. Nobody wants repentance. So if I'm a betting man, I'm not betting on America. Um, I'm just recognizing that, hey, um, the world can hate us. The world could kick us around. But just like I said, you know, earlier today, the sermon I preached this morning, um, we have hope. But our hope's not in America. Yeah, we're citizens of America, but more importantly, we're citizens of the heavenly city, the, the new Jerusalem. Um, we have a hope, and his name is Jesus. And so I would cling to Jesus and be courageous, have courageous faith, and uh, through faith and love, serve the Lord, serve the Lord fearlessly. Um, but America has been fleeing from God. Uh, since, since the day I was born, to be honest with you, I always tell people I was born January 1st, 1960, and then the whole country went down the tubes. I joke around with people. I tell them my name in Portuguese 
uh, means after this one comes the judgment. It doesn't mean that, but if it did, it'd be pretty appropriate. And um, but um, uh, but America's going down. This whole world is literally going to hell. Um, but we got to preach Jesus because we know the day will come when our King will return, and He'll take His stand upon the earth. He'll rescue us and he'll make things right on planet Earth. But until that day, we need to be all that Jesus has called us to be. So what I think I'll do is I'll uh, I'll close in prayer. And then if you have any questions, we can we can uh, answer questions. But that way you won't feel guilty. We close in prayer if you, if you need to leave. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we just pray, Lord, that uh, for uh, for ourselves and our family members, our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, we pray, Lord, that they would not flee from you, that they would acknowledge you, that they would be grateful, that they would acknowledge and obey your moral laws uh, through faith in your son. Um, And we pray, Lord, for our country and for the world that is fleeing from you. We can be grateful, Lord, that the church is growing at a faster pace now than any other, any other time in the history of the church, uh, but that's in third world countries, in African nations. I, Africa is almost half Christian right now, and in Asian nations, and in um, uh, Central and South American nations, but in the West, in America and Canada and Europe, Christianity is in decline. So though there's great revival throughout the world, there's going to be great persecution. And so I just pray, Lord, that we would not fall prey to this, that we would stay true to you and your word and your truth and your morality, and that we would be able to speak the truth in love to our friends, and we would lead people uh, to salvation and hope that comes only through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.